So hello everyone. Today's episode is part one of of one recording because my guest and I talk too much and we are both info dumpers. So what was supposed to be you know quick thoughts on Makoto Shinkai's previous films became an entire episode. So for your sake and mine, uh, I've decided to split it up. Next week we'll talk about Suzume, but for this week it's just your name and weathering with you. So that's enough preamble, let's begin. Good morning, good evening, and good day. You're listening to Drama Buds, an anima podcast. So hello everyone, welcome to today's episode of Drama Buds. I I feel a bit like a fish out of water here. I feel like this is not my specialty. This is not an area of expertise of mine. So I have invited my very, very good friend, Louie, once again. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello, Louie. Hi, Francine. Excited to be back on the podcast. Excited to talk about anime this time. Yes. We are joined here today by my, my friend who watches all of these things with me because I really don't feel qualified to talk about anime anime movies in general. So here's the tradition. We watch something together and then we spend like 30 minutes minimum after talking about the movie, about the plot, the characters, the theme. Essentially, it's an unrecorded podcast. So why not record the podcast? Exactly. Today, we're going to talk about Suzume, the latest work of director Makoto Shinkai, who's famously known for making uh, Kimi no Nawa, or Your Name, and Weathering With You, and a few other other works. Um, I've also watched Garden of Words. And, Louis, correct me. Okay, I feel, like, I feel like in high school, we had a teacher who made us watch 5 centimeters per second in class. We did. We had a teacher. I think it was our English teacher. They made us watch this for like class. Yes, because they didn't want to teach. Yes. <laughs> so, you know those days when your teacher doesn't want to... Or like they have an extra day for the lesson plan and they're like, I'll make them watch a movie. Anyway, back to the actual topic. Yeah, I watched... Or we watched 5 centimeters per second. But like really became a fan of this director of his works through... Kimi no Nawa, through your name. Kimi no Nawa was... I think that was his breakthrough. That was his biggest hit. Because his other works, like, you know, 5 centim- centimeters per second, it wasn't recognized um, internationally as much, like, globally. Kimi no Nawa has become a classic ano, anime wreck. You know, if your friend who's not into anime asks, what would you recommend, like, as a starter, as something that's, like, easy? It's really good. Like It's good. It's good, guys. More on that later because, of course, we're kind of a dedicated section to the other movies. Does this seem like a podcast where we don't go on a tangent? Does this seem like the podcast where we only talk about what's absolutely necessary? Of course not. There's backstory. Okay. So yeah, let's get into Makoto Shinkai's other works before we start talking about the actual supposed topic of this podcast episode, Suzume. I'm 
Okay, so before we go into the actual thing, we're supposed to be reviewing. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, our initial watches of the other Makoto Shinkai, like big films. You know, what we thought about it at the time, what our feelings were as we rewatched them. Or like, you know, the the similarities, the tropes, the formulas that he keeps on using in, in all his works. We've watched three, or for me, five at least. So I see a little bit of his style throughout all of them. Okay, starting with Kimi no Nawa. How do we summarize this? Uh, I challenge you. Summarize this uh, this movie, please. So, with a lot of Makoto Shinkai's work, he likes to use this like underlying sense of um, the gods, the hi- yung higher power. And you can kind of see that here. So, you gotta keep that in mind with all of his movies and works. Or I guess at least the main three, because I don't know about the other his other movies. But with Kiminonawa, Weathering with You, and Suzume, there's all these themes about the spirit world, spirits basically. So for Kiminonawa, um, this girl lives in the province, guy lives in the city, he lives in Tokyo, and they body switch, you know, Freaky Friday style. They body switch, they learn how to live each other's lives, so it's very different. Um, culturally and also like just like physically uh, it's a transition for both for the both of them and they're trying to figure out why they keep switching bodies in the first place and also they're having fun you know they're having fun getting to explore each other's lives because they feel kind of restricted with their day-to-day lives and so they learn to understand each other because they live in each other's shoes literally and that goes on for a while and Plot twist. The girl city needs saving, basically. And the body switching is sort of divine intervention. And so they basically save everybody. But when they switch back, they start forgetting each other's memories. And there's another, there's a plot twist that I won't include in the gist. But they find their way back to each other. And they're able to meet again after a lot of circumstances keeping them apart. A lot of twists and turns. So I literally just rewatched this a few hours ago. I started weathering with you yesterday, just to rewatch it for the first time in four years. And then Kimino now is also on Prime Video, so I'm like, might as well just watch it too, you know? This movie's so good. <laughs> it's really good. A-, a part of me keeps thinking like, is it just nostalgia? Uh, I watched it when I was in high school, and it was so pretty, and like we were in the. The zeitgeist of it, you know? Everyone everyone in our batch was watching it. We would make video edits using the music because it's so hype. People used it for their presentations. People used the aesthetic for their PowerPoints. We had the uh, our annual like high school fair. People would request the soundtrack of Radwimps to play nonstop. So... Yeah, it was very... Our school was a very nice place to be like a K-drama and anime fan because it was very normalized. And yeah, everybody was into it. Everybody loved this stuff. I kept thinking like, yeah, maybe it's just nostalgia, you know? Maybe it's not that good. But then as I watched it literally um, five hours ago, it's good! It's When you mentioned twists and turns... Like, that's an understatement. I felt like I knew exactly what's gonna happen. I've watched it minimum five times, start to finish. (laughs) And I still felt, oh my god, oh no. Yeah, exactly how you felt. Even if you knew what the plot was, I was still like, oh my gosh, oh my my god. The part where, yeah, 
I don't want to spoil, but yeah, the all the key parts. I was still gasping. Do, do we just say this is not a spoiler-free episode? Do we just do we just go for it, Louis? Because I kind of want to go for it. Okay, yeah, so yeah, let's go for it. Okay, at least for this, at least for the old ones, full on spoilers. It's been years. Yeah, it's on Prime Video. They just took weathering with you out of Netflix, I think. So sorry, <laughs> sorry if you don't know this. We're gonna spoil things. Go, Louis. Spoil everything. Go. Okay. So the part where they finally like meet each other face to face when they meet at twilight on top of the mountain and you know their memories are fading they're going back to their own bodies and then Taki and Mitsuha they're like okay we got to write each other we got to write each other's names I got to find you and then he writes you know instead of his name he writes I love you and I was still I was still oh my god so sweet but also so dumb so sweet but so dumb you know like I love the gesture I love the commitment to the bit but also why didn't you write your name <laughs> the emotions felt so fresh even if I've rewatched this so many times it's still really good like the the story beats it's so well paced maybe because like there's mon- there's a montage so like it helps like with the it doesn't feel too draggy it helps with the pacing you know the part where the music swells up when they're running to each other it's it's everything about it it's so beautiful like it was such a great collaboration between Makoto Shinkai and Radlimps like amazing it all came together the meme where the the Barbie doll says like why am I gasping I knew that already like that's me I'm still gasping I I know what's happening but I'm like oh, oh my gosh Okay, so you mentioned the pacing of this, which like I have figured out why I love the pacing of this so much because it's shorter than the other two. Like Suzume was two hours ten minutes or something, right? And then uh, Weathering with You was almost almost two hours, and then this was like one hour forty minutes. And I think even if it's the it's the slowest of them and it's the shortest. But I love the slowness of Kimi no Nawa because it felt very slice of lifey. And if you don't know, we are both slice of life girlies yes. <laughs> here. Okay, I love slice of life. I wanna spend you know minimum thirty seconds just watching the animation of people chopping vegetables, you know, <laughs> off of the the sound of the insects in nature. I love it. I love it. And like why it works, why it makes it better instead of feeling like, oh, this is kind of draggy or like there's not enough plot to keep this movie moving. We get to know the characters really, really well. Like we get to know Mitsuha first, right? We meet her grandmother and her sister and her dad who kind of abandoned them because he doesn't want to inherit the practice of the temple. And then we meet her friends and then her friends talk about how, you know, we're sick of this countryside life. We want to go to the big city. And then the next morning, you know, we wake up in the the body of this boy in the city. And then like, oh, you understand why Mitsuha in Taki's body is so excited about everything because we got to see her boring daily life in the countryside. You know, you, you see her living it up, buying expensive food in the city and like, you know, getting lost in tra- in the train because she doesn't know where to go. 
And then suddenly, wait a minute. What do you mean that wasn't the dream? What do you mean we've been swapping bodies this entire time? Like the slow buildup of them uh, finally understanding that they're in a Freaky Friday situation. So good! And then it jumps straight into Zen Zen Zens. <laughs> they were able to hit all the right beats, like emotional beats. Like simultaneously, the music is swelling. The background instrumentals are just, they're amping up. It, it was really, really good. Like the climax of it all. I just feel like you were talking. We were talking about how like emotions are always so amped up, right? It's because I don't know. I like them. I like Taki. I like Mitsuha. Felt like this is crazy to say about two anime people, but you know they have chemistry. <laughs> they do have chemistry. They do have chemistry. Like I can see why they liked each other or why they you know they cared about each other's lives and stuff. Like Mitsuha in Taki's body was making his life kind of better-ish, yeah. right? Helping his relationships and stuff. Yeah. The, their, their bickering scenes when they were leaving notes for each other in their diaries, like, that was cute. So when, when he suddenly, like, lost contact with her, I felt like, oh, that's, that's sad. I understand why he starts searching for her and yearning for her. Like, oh, chemistry between anime children? Oh, fascinating. Yeah, the chemistry... Now that you mentioned it, it actually it was really good. They played off each other really well. You mentioned how Mitsuha improved his life and he also like brought her out of her shell. Because I remember whenever he had her body, she would like, she, Mitsuha, quotation marks, would have like, she'd be more outgoing, you know, she'd be playing basketball. She'd be more receptive to other people because I remember like her job as a shrine maiden made her really shy because she was kind of um, a part of her was ashamed or embarrassed that she had to go through all of those like rituals with like the sake and everything so they both improved aspects of each other's lives and it makes them easy to root for because of it and okay speaking of easy to root for I'm a cynical person. I'm a bit of a cynical person, right? Like, him writing I love you instead of his name when they talked about writing his name. Typically, if I don't like the characters, if I don't like the relationship, I'll be like, you stupid child. You idiot. You know? I can't believe idiocy is the basis of our plot now. But then, in that moment, and by in that moment, I mean literally five hours ago, I was like, (gasps) He wrote, I love you, instead of his name. Like, you know, the inner romantic in me, the dead, the the little girl in my cold, dead heart is suddenly so alive (laughs) because they're both likable, because I I care about, you know, their feelings, getting their feelings across and not necessarily, like, moving the plot in a very logical, methodical way. Exactly. Like, in that moment, Taki was more concerned about getting his feelings across than Mitsuha potentially remembering his name. Like, for him, it was more important that she knew how he felt, even if she doesn't necessarily remember where those feelings came from. And that's very thematic, I think. It's a thematic message and was handled really well. It was executed really well, in my opinion. And then... Helped by, you know, Sparkle, Roy Radbimps playing in the background. Uh, oh, the music. The music of this movie is really, for me, my favorite my favorite soundtrack of them all. Not just nostalgia. I've, yeah, it's really, really good. Um, okay, speaking of themes. Something, something, red string of fate. Something, something, uh... Long distance relationships. 
something something like um you know that scene when Taki drank her like sake in the in the co- and then he saw like her whole life yeah. passing by him like the the visual of cutting the umbilical cord from her mom and then the visual of the strings the the braided cords it's very red string of fate coded <laughs> everything and then even the visual of her cutting her hair i feel like is a i i can't put it into words that's why i'm asking for help here it's like what something about the past and the present being interwoven and the braids of her ribbon and how she leaves the ribbon to Taki even though he doesn't know her yet in that point in time. Ties them together in the future and then uh, <laughs> something something. <laughs> Red string of fate something something. Uh, oh no, it's I think a recurring theme. I guess when we tackle the other movies also about time that Makoto Shinkai really... I guess focuses on like as a central theme for his movies but like for this also right the the three-year time disparity between them and yeah what Francine mentioned with how the past and future were being interwoven and how their lives sort of overlapped throughout the weeks or months I guess of each other of like um being in each other's bodies living each other's lives yeah it feels very um fated but at the same time the characters didn't feel restricted by the fate that was being played out. Does that make sense? It it didn't feel like the hand of fate or the hand of the, you know, the plot. <laughs> the It didn't feel like it was forcing them into it. It felt like they were gently being guided there. Just in general, the ride felt natural. It didn't feel convoluted or contrived. Also... Like this is a this is a new insight I got from watching it today as a twenty two year old. It discusses the the feeling of nostalgia really really well. Like they started out talking about how you know they're yearning for something but they don't know what. It's like they're missing something in their lives but they don't know what it is. And I'm like, oh, that's what nostalgia feels like. Because when you forget when you forget your your past, right, and you feel like I'm yearning for a feeling, I'm yearning for an experience. But it feels like it's something that is already gone in in my life. And I'm never gonna get it back. And then there's just, you know, the image of that that town, that entire city that just vanished, you know, out of nowhere, right? Like, all you have are, are pictures and, and vague memories of it. But, like, as you get older and older, you kind of lose those memories. And you also, you're just left with, like, this 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 inkling of a feeling of what it felt like to be a person in that town or you know a person five years ago ten years ago sorry to get existential on the podcast but like it really discusses it it tackles that feeling really well um with the town disappearing um i forgot where i read this from but it's like the feeling of nostalgia is something you can't go back to it to just like i guess reiterate what francine said you can long for it you can try it to find it or to re claim it recapture it but you'll never be back like in the same place you were or even if you if even if you came back you as a person would have been changed by your experiences by time and so the moment has already passed and you can revisit it in your memories but it will never be 
exactly the same. And so, in Mitsuha's case, it's literal. Like, she can never go back to the town that she grew up in. And, yeah, in the beginning, she was longing for city life. Like, I think I remember she said to her friend, like, what if I was, um like, a boy in Tokyo or something like that. She was wishing for a completely different life. But it's different because, I guess, it was also... Like a message of how Mitsuha grew up. When you grew up, the place where you lived your childhood will be forever changed. Or it'll, you won't ever look at it the same way you looked at it when you were a kid. I'm gonna read out the Tumblr post, which is um, under the My Liberation Notes tag. Because I can make everything about My Liberation Notes if I want to. Okay, Credits to this person. Stories in which you leave the place you love and never return are heartbreaking. But what's truly devastating are the stories in which you do come back and realize it was never possible to return to the place you loved in the first place. What the hell? <laughs> I feel like you can never go back to, to that place. Well, in her case, literally. You know? <laughs> literally, the place is gone. But in general, like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Just needed to share. I think that was the post I read. So it's good that you found it. That was yes. the one I was trying to remember. That's right. Everything's about MLN if I want it to be. Any criticisms? The annoying thing is that I just rewatched it and I expected that I would find something to criticize about it because, you know, I'm older now. I'm, I'm generally more critical now of, of what I watch. But then as I was watching it, I was still swept up in everything. So I'm really annoyed at myself. For um, being a little too biased right now, but yeah, anything you think he's improved on in the coming in the next films or something? I liked it the way it is or the way it was. I I know when it first released, I heard a bunch of people online and I heard a bunch of people in school saying that the ending was kind of abrupt, like they just see each other and you know what's your name and then you know the the camera pans up to the sky. But I like how they met. That they get to start over, kind of. They get to relearn everything about each other. Because the person that they're meeting seems familiar. But they don't necessarily remember. And even if they did, some time has passed. A few years have passed since the incident. And they could be different people. So I think it was a great way to end. Like, it ended at the beginning of their new, I guess the reset of their relationship. And that was a good high point for me. And it didn't feel like we were shortchanged in terms of, like, their interactions. Because the important, like, the main focus of the story was also about, like, their individual lives. And the time skip sort of showed how, like, their dynamics within, like, their friends and families have improved. And I feel like that's a great place to leave a story. You don't necessarily have to be given all the like answers or like you don't have to have an ending where they're together for sure. Wedding and rainbows. Yeah. Sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. yeah. Children and a family. Yeah. Because a lot of people really like seeing everything to be like, certain. But I like how I like the sort of ambiguity of the ending because it points them to a high note, but we don't see it anymore because it's for them to explore i guess you know like that's how i saw the ending do you need to watch my liberation notes i need to finish <laughs> you need to finish the last I five know. episodes louis we're gonna you're gonna say the same thing <laughs> about the ending 
Ay, nako. <laughs> Ay, nako. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, same. I, I also really like the ending. Like, appropriate open ending. I think what mattered was yeah. they both lived. Right? She she saved her town. She saved enough people from her town. And, like, they found each other. Which was the whole, you know, the question of, like, will they ever find each other? How strong is this, you know, red string of fate tying them to each other? Yeah. They found each other. That's enough. That's enough. I, I don't need to see anything more than that i'm i'm really coming at a blank i i i'm sorry i've failed i'm a little too biased i love exactly everything about it same there is nothing i don't know if i just can't remember anything to criticize but genuinely even when i was watching it again last december i was like yeah this is such a good movie no thoughts on any improvement or anything like that i didn't like because even the beats of like humor for me was funny and i liked the side characters you know they were enough they were fleshed out enough that they felt like characters in their own right but they didn't detract too much from the from the story and that's a perfect supporting character it's like it is a 1 hour 46 minute movie i don't need full story arcs for every supporting character out there and then yeah i didn't like, oh, did Mitsuha and her father mend their relationship after she saved the town? Whatever, whatever. Like, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. No notes. Sorry. No notes. No notes. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Most biased review ever. 10 out of 10. I have no bone to pick with this movie. With this movie. <laughs> we have bones to pick with the next movie. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we have mentioned that we do have bones to pick with the next movie, which is Weathering With You. Uh, this was a 2019, right? So we were in we were in college now when this came out. We watched it in cinemas. Yes, we actually watched it in cinemas. And we came out of it a little bit, um, hmm, how do we describe that first watch? Our initial thoughts about this, I remember coming out of the theater and we were both sort of reeling from how the last half was dragging, especially the chase sequence. So I remember because we did watch Kimi no Nawa and this was his next, um, this was Makoto Shinkai's next major release after Kimi no Nawa, we were drawing comparisons naturally, you know, um, this was a lot of, there, were, there was a lot of expectation for this film because of his hit of his previous hit in Kimi no Nawa and we thought okay so Radwimps is um they're the ones doing the soundtrack again you know a lot of um the the beats of the story some of it felt reminiscent of some beats in Kimi no Nawa I'm not saying that the plot was similar just that yeah not at all but just um to give an example their chase scene so like in Kimi no Nawa Taki and Mitsuha are running towards each other or trying to look for each other and in Weathering With You uh, Hina and Hodaka he's trying to get to Hina 
from what I remember, he's try he's running up an abandoned, dilapidated building, and he's trying to get to her. And the chase sequence is so long, or it feels very long to me, because there's an entire chase sequence in like the streets of Tokyo before he gets to the building. And then once he's at the building, everything's collapsing around him. But at the same time, there's also police because they're runaways. Yeah, with guns. And he has a gun and he's pointing it at these officers. And I just remember like, okay, when you're doing a climax to a story, it's a build up and then it peaks and then it's supposed to, you know, cool down. But I remember in that chase sequence, I thought, that it would be over once he reached the end of the building because I remember um he was given a ride via motorcycle and then yeah some of the cops are distracted so he gets to make his way into the building and everybody's like giving him all the support but I just remember like wow this this is taking forever he's <laughs> it's taking forever for him to reach Hina at the very top and I don't know why it just it didn't feel exciting or it did feel exciting but it was very overwhelming because there were so many obstacles that, that he had to go through that was just exhausting like as a viewer i was very exhausted just watching him running around going up the top it was a lot basically and obviously the ending um i'm going to give brief thoughts on the ending but we're going to discuss it in depth anyway later but the ending was good for the two of them you know it was good for them good for both of you but bad for everyone else happy for you what about everyone else <laughs> i feel like we forgot to summarize the movie i'll do it i'll do it okay we forgot Go. we forgot to summarize the movie essentially tokyo isn't like constant downpour constantly raining and then this kid hodaka uh runs away from his like he came from the countryside i think right from like another island then he went to tokyo and then he's a runaway kid so he you know he struggles to look for a job and then he meets this guy on the ferry on the way to tokyo and then he finds a job with him like uh investigating supernatural things around tokyo and that's when he meets uh hina who's a, a sunshine girl because for some reason she ended up on, on top of a dilapidated building and she walks through like a shrine the the, the shrine arch whatever you call that and then she gains the power of the weather i don't know and so when she prays uh, she prays for it she can get like a few minutes of sunshine in a small area and so he kind of he meets her and then they make it into a scheme uh where they they get requests from people um asking for sunshine for like oh i we're having a, a fair a market outside and we want sunshine oh um we're having a wedding we want to have an outdoor wedding so they pray for sunshine oh we want to have a fireworks show so of course they pray for sunshine but this is like a prophecy from elders who know about sunshine girls and all the legends where the more she uses her power, the more it, it makes her weaker until eventually they need to sacrifice someone so that they can end the eternal reign. She, she has to sacrifice herself to end the eternal reign. So they're being chased down by the police because he's a runaway kid he's already declared a missing child and then turns out she's also not actually 18 years old as she was saying she's actually even younger than him she's 15 years old with her younger brother and so i don't i think they don't want to be separated by the foster system so she pretends to be older so that she can still live with her younger brother and so they run away from the cops 
And then he was caught on CCTV shooting a gun. So they're also chasing him for possession of a firearm. What the hell? What's going on here? Eventually, she asks him, do you want the rain to stop? And he says, yeah. And then she sacrifices herself and goes up to the sky. And then suddenly, it's all sunny in Tokyo. But he is like shattered by this. So he goes up to that shrine, up up that building that Louis was talking about. And, you know, crosses through it so that he goes to like the upper world in the clouds. And they, you know, hold hands and dive down onto Earth and say, I'll choose you over any blue sky. Which in any other context, very romantic. But, but by doing so, they doomed all of Tokyo into more eternal rain. And three years later, most of Tokyo is submerged in water because it's just constantly flooding. But yeah, he, he sent back to his countryside. And then when he graduates high school, he goes back to Tokyo. And then he, he hesitates to meet her. But when he does, he's like, I chose you over, I don't know, over everyone else. And then they, I don't know, hold hands or something. And we're supposed to be like, yay, happy ending for them. But um, Tokyo is underwater, man. I don't know if I should be rooting for this. Especially in contrast to the ending of Kimi no Nawa, where, you know, they risk their lives trying to save everyone from that town. So it just felt like the moral, you know, I feel like one of these is a little bit morally better than the other. And it, it's hard to root for their romance, knowing that they doomed an entire city just for it. When she had already done the sacrifice, like everything was going to be good. It was just him against it. You know, like I mentioned earlier for Kimi no Nawa, it was so easy to root for Taki and Mitsuha. But for Hina and Hodaka, I wasn't rooting for them by the ending, by the time skip, where um people were displaced, they had to move because the c- cities were submerged, people were traveling via boat. The people that took them in sort of had to change their business. They had to change their a source of income and everything. But it's still framed by the story that it was a good decision because at least Hina gets to live. But what about the uh, the countless other people who have to adjust to the new situation that Tokyo is always under constant downpour? Maybe the movie was trying to say something about um choosing like the selfish choice, like choosing the selfish choice, and I guess putting what you want first. But I feel like it wasn't done. It wasn't executed in um in a good way. I feel like there was a way to execute this in a, in a better way. I don't know. It just it was hard for me to be happy by the end yeah, of the movie. Okay, I have, uh, I have an analysis on this after re-watching it earlier today. Because like, I was just watching the thing, trying to understand why should I root for this? What is this movie trying to say? Because from the very beginning, they were talking about runaway children. They mentioned in the news that there were like so many firearms you know, uh, lost in the city somewhere, and then the constant downpour. Like, this world is so sad. This world is so, yeah, it's just so dreary, everything about it. And then we meet this child who wants to run away from home for some reason. It wasn't very clear, right? Why he wanted to run away from home. Yeah, it wasn't given like enough backstory, I think. Because the movie starts with him on the boat already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we barely get any glimpses of his life in the past, why he felt the need to run away. But we were just supposed to accept it. So okay, so okay, I'll accept it. 
I started to rationalize that maybe the moral of that whole of the whole story and the choice that they made it's like these kids felt so unsafe unhappy in 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 their lives right with the adults who are supposed to be taking care of them like who knows right maybe maybe his parents were abusive or something that's why he wanted to run away <laughs> or yeah or her she's so afraid of the foster system because she knows like she'll be torn apart from her her little brother and who knows if they're ever gonna see each other again so they feel so unsafe in this world where they're supposed to be protected by the adults that they decide i'm better off taking care of myself i'm better off taking that responsibility of of fending for myself instead of depending on these adults because uh yeah i can't count on them and then with with hina's like sunshine praying powers they were actually doing good for the people right they were giving them sunshine they were giving them happy memories and moments they were giving and giving and giving onto others and then apparently giving and giving onto others takes parts of yourself away until she was like translucent she was practically water now and then suddenly she finds out like oh i have i have to sacrifice myself for the sake of the world but then this movie keeps on repeating like they're runaway kids runaway kids these are just kids these are minors we need to protect them we need to save them from this dangerous world and then suddenly all the burden of responsibility is placed on the shoulders of this child to save the world like that's a lot of burden and so they try to run from it but like society keeps telling them you can't be a runaway child you have to be under our protection under whose protection the people who made us feel unsafe the people who cultivated this world where you know there are there are like guns out everywhere there are pimps uh, willing to hire children for for adult bars or whatever like no we need to run away from this world and then every time like hodaka tries to explain himself to the adults they never listen. They're always just like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just a runaway kid. We're here to protect you. We're here to help you. But like, you know, it, they're not listening to him really. And so the the only reason why he's able to uh, go to the shrine arc and, and f- save Hina in the skies is because the guy who hired him um, found him in that building. And instead of helping the police catch him, he remembers that, oh, you know, his, his wife died after she gave birth to their child, right? You remember that? He, he feels like, if I had the opportunity to get my wife back, to do anything to get my wife back, I would do it. But like, I can't. <laughs> I can't because, you know, it's impossible. But look at this kid who has, maybe, he, he's not sure about it, but maybe this kid really does have a chance of getting Hina back. Like this girl that he really likes. This is his friend, at least. So he, uh, the guy who hired him decides to attack the police and help him out, which is like a crazy decision. There were guns involved in this situation, guys. There was a child holding a gun. It was a very terrifying image. Ah, oh no, it escalated so much. It was crazy. It was it was so intense to watch that, but not in a like oh, I'm so excited way, but in like what the hell is going on? <laughs> Why is there a child holding a gun? Anyway, where was I? Essentially, you know, he sees, like, this child. Something, something, youth allows you to be reckless and to make selfish decisions. And why does a child need to carry that 
intense burden of, you know, fending for yourself in a harsh world or even saving the world. Like, it's a pushback on all the animes that make teenagers and high schoolers their protagonists. Like, why is a high schooler trying to save the world, man? Let them be kids for a while. Come on, why is every chosen one a 15-year-old? That's crazy. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, it's just like recognizing the the youth in this child and letting him, you know, make his mistakes, I guess. Even if it's a very selfish mistake. And then, and then, in the time skip, um, yeah, the guy who hired him says, y- no, it wasn't because of you that the world is suddenly constantly raining again. No, you had nothing to do with that. It's not because of you and Hina. Like, she was just there. They don't know how, how Hodaka got her back, you know? <laughs> So it's like, no, no, that's nothing. That's not your fault or you had nothing to do with that. And then this like grandma told him that like, you know, a hundred years ago, Tokyo was also underwater, you know? So maybe this is just nature's way of reclaiming the land that she owned, something, something like that. And so essentially these adults were once again telling them like, nah, you're just kids. You have nothing to do with this. Like absolving them of responsibility for the situation. But then when they met each other again, right? And he said, no, it wasn't just like that. I chose you. I, I, I chose to save you over the world. And it's like, oh, these children are taking responsibility for their actions. And they think, oh, we have agency in this story. And I kind of get it. But it doesn't help me uh, root for them. You know, I just, I understand the themes of the show. Like, these are children making monumental decisions in a world made unsafe by the adults. But rooting for it personally, nah. <laughs> Did that make sense? Did any of that make sense? No, it makes sense. You actually, honestly, you also kind of made me realize that, yeah, okay, that was probably... That's a really good point. I like the point that you made about the movie. Even if you don't necessarily root for it. And there's, it's something talaga when you can understand what the intention was behind it, like the story, even if you don't necessarily agree with it, you know? We can understand what the execution was supposed to be about, what the message of the movie is, but that doesn't mean that we have to necessarily like it, you know? Maybe it comes down to personal preference. I guess for me personally, like it's my personal preference that I didn't like how the movie turned out even though I like the themes that you mentioned that occurred throughout the movie. And I also feel like we're older than these characters. You know how when you're really young and like a teenage character is older than you, you think, oh, why are you acting like this? Like, you should be more mature than this. You should do better than this. Because you're a, you know, you're a 14-year-old, Katara. Why are you so... (laughs) Why are you crying about your mom, Katara? Why are you crying about your mom, Katara? Ang has to save the world. Or like, Ang, why don't you just get over your dead tribe? <laughs> you gotta kill the, the Fire Lord, Ang. Get over yourself. <laughs> we used to think like that. We used to think these these teenage characters should be so much more mature than this because we were young, younger than yeah, them. Yeah, we were like eight, nine. Yeah, yeah. And then when we're the same age as them, we kind of kind of understand them, right? Like, no, no, this is how you should do it. Like, adults don't understand what we're going through at this age, something like that. And now that we're older than them, oh, <laughs> mm, that's not really, uh, you know. 
when you're older, it recontextualizes the actions of the characters. That okay, when you're when you're a preteen or when you're a teen, everything feels so big. Everything feels so big and like no it feels like no one has ever gone through this ever and no one will ever understand what you're feeling. Even though literally millions of people have gone through what you're going through. But because you're a teenager, you really you're in your emotions. You really feel them. And to put yourself in that kind of mindset, in that kind of context, you can sort of make sense as to why um these characters chose to do what they do and chose the decisions that they chose, you know? It makes sense given their ages. They're young. For the three movies that um we're discussing today, they're the youngest characters because the rest of them are 17-year-olds and Sota is like a 20-something. So they're the youngest. They're the youngest by far for the age for their age because I think they're 14 and 16 respectively and the rest are 17 above. Yeah, I feel like that's just a new insight like as you get older where it- you know, you baby girlify, mm. like, oh, baby girl, <laughs> that's not how the world yeah. works. <laughs> like, mm, you'll get <laughs> over it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, it comes with age. Oh, we're old. <laughs> we're old now. These are children to us. Oh, I know. No. <laughs> Good points, though. I feel like all we've done is criticize so far or just analyze. Um, Dude, the art of this is the best. It's like, so pretty. Another level. We'll talk about Suzume later. But Suzume, I feel like, was very... Uh, it was focused on the CG because there were a lot of, like, moving sequences. It was really... you. C- it was intense. Um, Kimi no Nawa, a little bit... It's a little bit older, maybe. The technique had not developed. The budget was not as huge, probably. But weathering with you, every shot was, like, so detailed. All the painting of the landscapes, the cityscapes, the the droplets of water. There's so much water in this movie. It's gorgeous. It's so pretty. How the light refracts through the water. Everything was so visually stunning. I remember when we came out the cinema, that was also like one of our, our first comments. Everything was so pretty, visually stunning. Out of the three, this the visuals in this movie, I think, would be top one for me. Like, visuals alone. It's so good. It's Yeah, the way they had to animate, they had to work with water for the most part and how they made it so dynamic, which is hard because you're drawing the water. It's, yeah, it's hard to capture. Even if it's CG, it felt more natural. Because the CG in Suzume felt a little bit like, oh, I see that CG. But in Weathering With You, it's a little more natural. Yeah, it's more integrated. Because, you, yeah, you can tell if it's a CG animated to look 2D, but they're using three CG or 3D elements. Um, For this one, everything was very seamless. All the scenes, I don't remember a scene where I could point out that, oh, this, this one's CG. No, everything looked uniformed or within the same art style that it didn't look out of place. Any other comments, positive or negative, about this? Ooh, okay, I, I remember one. I remember one that I wanted to discuss. The Kimi no Nawa cameo in Weathering With You, I feel like, was... It was nice. It was a good callback. And also because um, in Kimi no Nawa, I think... There was there were also characters from his previous movie that cameoed in Kimi no Nawa. So it's sort of his tradition where he um characters in previous movies show up briefly in the movie in the current movie. So it's Makoto Shinkai's I guess MO sort of. 
But it was very confusing. I remember going online after because we were trying to sort the timeline. Because it happened between, like, with the way um, Taki and Mitsuha cameoed, it was sort of implied that this was before they meet in the epilogue. And since it's raining in the time skip for Weathering With You and in Kimi no Nawa, it was sunny, it, I guess, confused a lot of people. Like, when was this taking place? If this is the same um, universe, if it's a shared universe, isn't this confusing timeline-wise? I guess it just kind of... Um, it kind of took focus from the original story. Like, instead of being immersed in what's happening, I'm sort of kind of trying to mentally reconcile. Like, okay, so in Kimi no Nawa, they met at Wasani. So at the end, so this happened, like, after they met in the future. But the scenes that they're in implies that they haven't met each other again. And it's just, it's just an added layer of confusing for people who watched Kimi no Nawa and then watched Weathering With You and saw these two characters. I guess it detracts from the main story. And I feel like cameos, if you're doing cameos, it has to be done tastefully where you don't want to pull too much focus away from your actual current leads, you know, in order to make screen time for the previous leads of your previous film. So that's just my opinion. But I remember, you know, okay, whatever. Let's just accept that they cameoed in this movie. It doesn't really matter timeline-wise. These two films stand independent of each other. It, it doesn't really matter. But for people like me who obsess over details like this, I was thinking about it all the way home from the cinema when I first watched it. And I feel like making the, the cameos a thing, it kind of put this like bad taste in people's mouth for Makoto Shinkai. Like, I felt this general sentiment of like, oh, so he's making a Makoto Shinkai cinematic universe? Like, get over yourself, man. <laughs> and now he's, oh, he's making another movie and it's about a door and a chair. <laughs> it's like, oh, this guy is a sellout. This guy's all he is is like over-budgeted animation that, that's like a oh, pointless plot and whatever characters. It's all aesthetic. And yeah, there was like a part of me feared Suzume. A part of me feared the next movie. I thought like, hmm, what if he is selling out? You know, like what if it's just he's just making the same movie over and over again, cashing in on the the aesthetic and all the money that's being given to him because like he has an unlimited budget now it seems. But uh, Suzume was a, a pleasant surprise, right? Yeah, it was. I was very happy with how the movie turned out. And I really enjoyed the plot of it. So, the story beat wise. We'll get to that later. that's it for me today we will continue with part two of this recording where we actually talk about suzume which was supposed to be the only topic of this episode but as you could tell we talk a lot <laughs> so yeah that's it for me today thank you so much for listening and i will see you soon thanks for tuning in feel free to leave a comment like subscribe follow and tell me what you thought about today's episode See you soon!